Welcome to Educational Alpha. I'm Bill Kelly, CEO of Kai Association and your host, bringing you on the ground conversations with business leaders, educators, and industry colleagues from around the globe. Educational Alpha is sponsored by iCapital, the financial technology company with the mission to power the world's alternative investment marketplace. Part innovator, part educator, and part navigator of the alternatives industry, iCapital offers intuitive, scalable digital solutions that have transformed how private market and hedge fund investments are bought and sold. With iCapital, financial advisors, wealth managers, and asset managers around the world now have access to everything they need to deliver the return and diversification potential of alternatives to high net worth investors. To learn more, visit iCapital.com. In today's episode, Bill speaks with Kaya member Brian Digney, an expert in operational due diligence and a true advocate for enhancing transparency and professionalism within the industry. Throughout, Brian shares intriguing anecdotes and observations drawing on real-life scenarios and peppered with past experiences. They delve into the significance of operational plumbing within the industry, the rise of illiquid investments, and the vital role that operational due diligence plays in detecting trends and risks. Brian explores the delicate balance between risk and reward, outlining the key factors that institutional investors consider when partnering with emerging managers. Listen in. Brian Digney, welcome to Educational Alpha. Thanks for having me, Bill. I feel like in a good way, this is a little bit of Brian overload. We were together in Dublin just last week, and it was great to see you there. We did a chapter event, and I do a lot of work with the CIFD, the Certified Investment Fund Director Program at the IOB, and they had their annual forum, and we did a Kai event the night before. So it was great to see the Ireland community come together, and I think you toggle between Ireland and the UK, even though you're, maybe your daily remit with SBAI is there. But a lot of very, very good things to talk about around partnership and what we're trying to do together, which clearly is an important theme for this discussion. But maybe before we get into that, perhaps have you introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. Thanks, Bill. I grew up in a small town in the north of Ireland, went to university, did law as an undergrad. At the time, I had ambitions to become a solicitor or a barrister, but I had always an interest in economics, commerce, finance. And after a number of years, by the time I got to the end of that program, I thought maybe I want to do something different. And I undertook a master's in management and corporate governance. And that led to a role with Citigroup within their private bank. And I spent a a short period there. And after that, I moved to Morgan Stanley with them in London. From there, I moved on to an investment manager, but also a managed account platform. And I was tasked with developing their operational infrastructure and their setup. They were a startup. Unfortunately, that business went under. It failed. But that led to an interesting role with Mercer within their consulting department focusing on operational due diligence. And I hadn't really considered operational due diligence before until the opportunity presented itself. But it seemed like a really great opportunity from the perspective of seeing lots of different managers, the variety of strategies that you have to assess And I suppose from my background, having a strong operational element and having been in a startup environment, it seemed like a good mix of experience and skill sets. So 
I was very happy to make that move and spend some time with Mercer and then moved on to Alborn Partners, who would be a very well-known investment consultant in our industry. And after a number of years there, I was presented with the opportunity to relocate to Dublin with a managed account platform called InnoCap. And I took up a role there as the head of ODD, but also a quasi-dual role. I was also responsible for operational risk within that business from the perspective of an investment manager dealing with the regulatory compliance framework, the Central Bank of Ireland, and just ensuring that as an investment case, we looked as strong as possible to new clients and to outside investors as well. I did that for a number of years. Then the opportunity presented itself to join the Standards Board for Alternative Investments, which, again, is a slightly different role to what I've had before. But my role here is focused on researching content, working with our working groups, coming up with new and interesting content to share with our members, but also at our events that we hold globally. Yeah, I split my time between London and Ireland for that role and travel frequently around the world to all of our events in the same way that you guys do at the CHI Association. Terrific. Well, that background is very helpful and informative to the discussion we're going to have today. And maybe I'll say we, but mostly you have written a joint paper around striking the balance when it comes to ODD. And I want to talk about that in a moment. And I think that's the very heart of not only this discussion, but what the investor needs to be thinking about. But before we get into that, a couple interesting things are colliding. This is going to air, I think, next week, but we're in the very early days of October, and this coincides with the opening of Kaya's twice-a-year registration process, and this opening is going to be happening for the March Level 1 and Level 2 exams, and both you and I are Kaya charter holders, so maybe we more than most know exactly what that means. But what it really ultimately means is we're trying to take what I think is a great industry and try to professionalize it as much as we possibly can. And, and bend that arc as much as we can toward the client. And I think you and I are sitting in two very interesting, but maybe somewhat similar roles. We're sitting in very senior positions at two organizations that are not-for-profits, that are focusing on better outcomes for the end investor. And we inked a partnership agreement between our two organizations, I don't know, about a year or so ago. And we have about two dozen of these relationships. But in terms of effectiveness and making that signature on a sheet of paper sing in the real world, you folks are right at the top of that list. And I've had your CEO, Thomas Dianette, on this program, your board chair, Mario Thurin, our common board member in the past, Jane Buchan. So there's a lot of connected tissue, and you folks have been very kind to invite Kaya to your forums. I was up in Montreal with you folks late last year in New York as well, and Laura Molini was with you just a week or so ago in London. And not so much to check a box, but to really highlight some issues, challenges, and opportunities that are going to focus on better outcomes for the end investor full stop. And I think through your standards, we're never done. It's like painting a bridge because this industry is evolving and changing and we have to add to those standards. But maybe now taking that to the here and now on operational due diligence. And again, I think it was interesting to hear your background and you can comment on this as you think about what you wrote down here on this thought piece going forward. But I would assume, and I've seen this myself firsthand because I grew up in the operational side of this business too, where the operations were a cost center and ODD was sort of like, I guess we have to do that, but should that ever stop or break an investment? Most likely not, but we have to go through those motions and I would be remiss again in not pointing out the fact that we're sitting here again on October 2nd 
And a certain trial of a certain person who goes by the acronym of SBF is starting tomorrow. And if there were ever a classic case of relying on what the other person did around operational due diligence, this is that and then some. So a lot for you to chew on, Brian, but maybe this is the heart of beginning a discussion around the striking the right balance when it comes to ODD and some of the observations you've seen in the course of your career and, and how that evolved into this specific joint paper we're writing today. First thing I would just say is thank you for your kind words about our partnership. It's something that we really appreciate at the SBI, between the SBI and Kaya, and we are fully focused on, as you said, good outcomes for investors and a stronger industry. It's great to be able to work with you guys in that capacity. So maybe if I just sort of set the scene about where we are today versus maybe the journey of the last 10 or 15 years. So I think the line in the sand for most ODD professionals, where people could say things really changed, was the matter of scandal. ODD existed before that, but that particular failure raised a number of question marks about processes and their sophistication as to why this guy was not uncovered earlier. That point, I suppose, for most ODD teams meant that things became more formalized, more standardized, more sophisticated. People started to move into this role on a dedicated basis. So they seen more managers and they were able to compare and contrast good managers with bad managers because their universe of managers and their experience had grown. So we've seen ODD develop and IDD too during this time period. And what we have seen, especially in traditional hedge fund liquid investments, is that the hedge fund world has typically got a lot better. Um, standards have improved. Processes have improved. Transparency has improved, disclosure has improved, but it's not perfect and it probably never will be perfect. But we've also had a parallel road moving alongside this where we have more illiquid investments, private equity, real estate, venture capital, increasing in huge numbers in terms of the allocations that institutional investors are making to these asset classes. And I suppose what we have seen from an IDD and ODD perspective is that because these investments are typically more complex and some of them are new and different, the sophistication of IDD and ODD teams sometimes, and even processes within institutional investments, within organizations themselves, have not kept up with the pace of the investments that they're allocating to. It's a challenging environment. If we think of some of the things that have developed over the last number of years within the ODD environment that ODD teams are now having to look at, we're looking at things like ILS investments, private equity, real estate, cyber and information security risk. We're seeing things like counterparty risk, emerge, change and emerge. If we think of the SVB blew up earlier this year, people are now questioning whether the existing sort of framework that they would use to assess counterparty risk, is it good enough anymore? Does it need to evolve? Does it need to improve? We've seen a huge degree of outsourcing in the industry over time. We've seen consolidation of service providers. So it's a consistently moving target, really, from an ODD perspective. And ODD teams have had to keep up with this. Now, one of the challenges that come with that that we have also seen from the investors is that everyone wants to be in new and exciting investments, and they want to earn return for their pension schemes or for their investors. And sometimes some institutional investors have been willing to compromise their standards 
And by that, I mean, they've been willing to look at what their peers are investing in. And have been happy to follow those peers into those investments, sometimes without doing the due diligence that they would typically do in more liquid hedge fund investments. Sometimes they haven't done any due diligence at all. And it's not surprising that we've seen some blow ups in that space. And you're very right to reference the upcoming court case. I think it's going to be a very interesting period for the industry to digest that. Um, I've got Michael Lewis's book on order. I'm looking forward to reading that to hear the inside line and try and figure out if there's something else that people could have done to have avoided this sort of scenario. So it's a very challenging environment. And I suppose what we're trying to tease out in the article that we've written is to ask institutional investors to assess within their own organizations whether they have the right balance between IDD and ODD. Do they have the appropriate resources in place? Are they dealing with appropriate deal volumes? Do they train and educate their staff to be able to look at these new and exciting investments that for most people, everyone is trying to figure these out? So there's a lot of questions for the industry, uh, a little bit of self-reflection perhaps, but it's a very, very challenging environment at the moment within uh, due diligence. Maybe, Brian, it would be good to get some of your perspective about how things have evolved and where we are and maybe how ODD is going to be looked at going forward. I think Madoff and SBF, we learned some lessons, but these things seem to repeat themselves. And I think the herd mentality about FOMO, which I think we talk about in here, fear of missing out, and hey, if the crowd is doing it, I should be involved in it too. And maybe just one example from my background, Bear Stearns doesn't exist anymore, but back almost 40 years ago, I was part of an underwriting team that would go out to SNLs around the country. And there was a group of people that would just go and they were part of just buying big batches of conforming whole loans from SNLs around the country. And I was part of a smaller team. And this is before SBAI existed, before CHI existed, I think before ODD was even in the common vernacular. But as I think back now on what you're saying, I guess I was in an ODD position because our goal would be to take a small sample and re-underwrite them down to the last excruciating details. We took a very fine lens. And there's one particular deal where we found the standards to be suboptimal. These weren't necessarily subprime loans, and maybe they were, maybe this was the beginning of the GFC back in 85, who the hell knows. But we had a debrief meeting, and I go up and meet with the deal people, and I'm expecting to get a little bit of a thank you or maybe a little bit of a pat on the head, and I get, you justified your salary. It's like, wow. So I think that we've got to move away from justifying salary as opposed to you're part of and an integral part of a very, very important team that's going to be making decisions. And I think the moment you have your ODD team thinking that they're going to be the skunk at the picnic, or even if they are the skunk at the picnic, you know what? It doesn't smell that bad to me. We're going to go ahead and do it anyway. So I think having a functioning process like this, I think we talk about reporting lines and scope, et cetera. Maybe you can cover some of that because I think there are a lot of opportunities to get this right. And getting it right might mean in many cases walking away from an investment. And that's okay. It's not about justifying anybody's salary. It's about justifying a wholesome process that must work for the end investor. I think you're right. I mean, if I was to summarize it, I would allude to this tension perhaps between IDD and ODD that I've seen firsthand in different organizations where for the most part, ODD is viewed as maybe a cost center or an inhibitor to progressing with an investment or 
you have an elongated assessment period from an IDD perspective, and you have an IDD team who's largely comfortable with the opportunity set and wants to pull the trigger and they want to invest, and then your ODD team come at the end and they raise a lot of issues that inhibit process and slow down the investment process and creates a lot of frustration. And that does exist to the industry to an extent, but I think the article that we have written goes beyond that. And it says, how should you view ODD within your organization and viewing it as a cost center or something that you do to tick the box is not the right approach. And if I look at the really, really successful institutional investors out there, what do they do differently? First of all, they take it seriously and they put ODD and IDD at the heart of their investment process. They have a consensus approach to making investments where you view the risk set as a whole, not IDD and ODD separately. You view it as a whole and you make good decisions on a consensus-driven way. Some organizations go a little bit further. They implement veto rights for IDD and ODD teams. And I'm not saying that's the right approach or the wrong approach. It works for some organizations, but most organizations can be successful with a consensus-driven approach where they have trust in both sides of the due diligence aisle and they can listen to each other and have trust in those processes. Because everyone needs to remember that this due diligence process between IDD and ODD is there to protect organizations from undue risk. It's to stop losses from occurring, protect investors, and you shouldn't have a hierarchy of risks that you're overriding one or the other or comparing and contrasting. You can take a view that there is a certain appetite of risk that you will stomach to a degree. And a lot of investors have to make that decision as well. I've seen examples of institutional investors who have decided we want to invest in the industry for the future. So they've adopted emerging manager programs where the operational risk element tends to be a lot higher compared to more sophisticated and established peers. But they're investing in those businesses with a view not just to make money, but to also improve those businesses, reduce the operational risk over time, and ultimately have a stronger hedge fund industry as well. So those are great ways that you can balance the risk and reward within the investment decision-making process. And some really good institutional investors are able to do that, stomach the risk, have appetite for it, but also be aware of what they're not willing to put up with. And I think in some of the more recent examples, especially in the tech space, a lot of people didn't really know where the line in the sand stood for them. They were happy to go ahead with an investment, even if it didn't really make sense. And ultimately, in some cases, lost money and created huge reputational damage for their organizations. So in our paper, we talk about some of the things that investors can do to put ODD and IDD at the heart of their process and having a really good understanding of your investment framework what your red lines are, what your red flags are, what your risk appetite is. These are all questions that institutional investors need to ask themselves and think about this as they embed it into their overall investment process. The word flexibility, I think you just mentioned it either direct or by inference and a word that both you and I and I think our listeners can relate to and that I think any process is not a one size fits all. It has to be adaptable for the specific set of circumstances and also Taking on risk means taking on uncertainty, and you want to make sure you have as much visibility into that uncertainty, being compensated for it as well. And that means different things in ODD and IDD, but maybe to dial this back first, I think it's important to underscore the fact that 
if it's ODD or IDD and you're going into that manager's office and let's pretend COVID didn't exist and maybe it's, it's done remote, but let's say you're going into an office and you're sitting down in the conference room, I think the first thing you have to understand if you're sitting on the LP side of that table, you're being delivered a highly curated experience, full stop. It doesn't mean that the manager is dishonest, but they're not going to tell you everything they know. And I think that that is part of the process, not part of the game. It's part of the process that if you have received a notice that the SEC is coming in to visit you, is that something you have to disclose? I don't know. So I think that the manager has to make decisions about what they are going to disclose. And then it is a curated experience and making sure that you just don't accept that all at face value. And maybe there's people that are not in the room that should be. Where's your head of operations? Where's your head of trading? So I think there's ways of taking a pretty curated experience and making sure that it works for you and you're getting a pretty good thorough understanding of that particular GP or manager's approach to ODD. So maybe talk about how you can maybe take what is always going to be a curated experience and maximize the potential from ODD for the LP or the investor. It's an interesting point. I would say that you're right. I mean, if you're an institutional manager, you've been set up for a long period of time, you have a lot of experience in the industry. The way you approach IDD or ODD for every new investor is probably a very slick, well-choreographed process. You've done it many, many times before. You know what works, you know what doesn't. It's very hard to unpick that. I think for most ODD teams, there's a couple of signs that you would look for that would give you an indication of whether you're dealing with genuine people, if that makes sense, rather than just getting a sort of theatrical performance. I mean, you can have a great experience. You can go and meet the manager. You can receive some materials. But you really want to judge people by their degree of transparency and what they're willing to disclose to you. And the best managers are the ones who will give you a lot of openness and they'll give you what you want in terms of requests for information or policies or procedures. And there's not many excuses left in the industry to prevent an investor from receiving some of those materials. Now, some materials, there's not an expectation that they should be shared in every scenario. Most of those go to the heart of intimate details about how the business is run and things like that. And ODD teams understand that. But most are looking for a high degree of transparency and disclosure from their managers. And for institutional investors, who typically are writing much larger tickets and investing into a more concentrated pool of managers today compared to how they were maybe 10 or 15 years ago, what they're really looking for is long-term relationships. This is sticky money that could be with a manager for 10 years. So there is an opportunity for institutional investors to really partner with a manager for the future. If you're writing a ticket and you know that that particular ticket has revenue generating capabilities of say two or two and a half million dollars a year for that manager, and they're maybe on the smaller side or they're growing, that's a huge investment in that business. That's some of the discussions that I've heard being in this space, listening to institutional investors that they want to see from the managers because they understand what they're putting on the table in terms of money, how important that is to the manager, but they also want to see it invested back in the business to ensure that the business protects them from risk, that the business is well-resourced, that has good operational infrastructure. And I think that's how really, really, really good institutional investors who are at the top of their game with a very sophisticated investment process they know where the power lies and they use it to their advantage in extracting concessions sometimes from their managers, but general improvements. And I think 
we have talked about this in the article. I think, Bill, you as an organization have wrote about this before, the concept of Operation Alpha. Getting a little bit more for your own organization through this process is a really strong accretive element that people don't typically consider. The very best investors will use their ODD teams and IDD teams to an extent as a sort of early warning system. They're out there speaking to a lot of people. They can detect new trends in the industry. They detect new risks as they emerge. They can report back to their organization on those risks and those developing trends. And the very best ones look at processes and procedures within the industry more generally, identify those processes and procedures, bring them back to their own organizations and use it to support and develop their own internal teams. And I've seen a number of people do that in the Canadian space, in the Middle East, and they've done it very, very successfully and developed very, very sophisticated infrastructure internally, even within the investor setup, which is a huge benefit to those organizations in terms of being able to run more lean, more efficiently, and ultimately save their pension members and their investors' money as well. We can come back to this in a second because this brings up direct investments and maybe investing in emerging managers, but I'll park that thought for a minute. And maybe, again, you alluded to this a moment ago, Brian, about the importance of where ODD and IDD begin and end. And I don't know if one begins and ends so black and white. I think it's a gray area where they complete each other. And we've mentioned both Madoff and SBF on the course of this discussion. And in many levels, they're very similar because there are garden variety frauds brought about by one person's ego drive or everything else. But from an ODD standpoint, they're a bit different in that investing in Madoff was a manager-based due diligence decision by the LP. Investing in SBF, in many cases, I know some allocators went direct, but in many cases, you hired a VC and the VC in turn went and hired SBF. So there was a quote unquote middleman there. And maybe this will lead into emerging managers and direct investments. But if you're underwriting a GP, you're not necessarily looking to get a go, no go decision on the manager. You are. But how important is understanding in turn their ODD process on portfolio companies and as an industry or as a reminder, or as we contemplate this paper, are we going deep enough on that as well? Because I think that if you're going to get anything right, you really have to get right what their ODD is, because that's your money being allocated out. I'm not dismissing the manager's ODD. But to treat that as, well, that's the manager's responsibility after I invest in them, I think you missed a spot there. But so maybe your views on the importance of understanding in turn their ODD. And this is true of fund to funds as well. It's a really interesting point. I've I've seen a couple of examples of this. I mean, there's less fund of funds around these days compared to a number of years ago, but there are some more and they seem to be flourishing on the more liquid side of things, not in the traditional hedge fund side of things. So I've seen more fund of funds in the private equity world, investing in infrastructure and other idiosyncratic investments, and actually undertaking some reviews of those managers. I've been really, really surprised at the lack of due diligence that they're doing on their underlying investments, which I find remarkable. I remember going to see a very prominent, well-known Swiss investor fund the funds and asked them for an insight into their ODD process. I mean, they didn't even have someone dedicated to ODD within their team. They had a number of operational people who were expected to do a review or an assessment of, say, cash processes. 
not even from the perspective of what risk are we exposing ourselves here to, but more from a flow and an infrastructure perspective in terms of if we need to wire you money, how do we do that? Where does it go? And that was sort of more from an operational plumbing perspective rather than from a risk perspective. I've been shocked on a number of occasions about the lack of sophistication in some of those cases. So, I mean, if I was always doing a due diligence assessment of a fund of fund, I would always expect there to be an element of due diligence in that process. Obviously, that becomes less common in today's current environment where fund of funds are less popular. And we have seen this sort of pod multi-manager setup sort of emerge in its place. But yes, if it was me and I was looking at fund of funds, I would expect there to be some degree of ODD involved. And then you have to ask yourself, well, depending on the complexity of the underlying investments, similar to if you're allocating to one investment manager, you have to understand their sophistication, their competency. Do they have the right skill set? Do they have the right people to make a judgment on whether this is a good investment or not? And I think for institutional investors, on the point of direct investments, that's maybe an area where institutional investors do need to think about the level of competence and experience within their own business, because direct investments do not sit very neatly into existing ODD and IDD frameworks, because they're not the same type of investment. Yes, there are some commonalities in how you assess, either from a banking relationship perspective or a counterparty perspective or service providers or a cash flow process or governance, but there has to be an understanding that if you're going looking at direct investments, each investment case could be very, very unique and may need a different degree of skill to assess that investment opportunity on the merits of what's in front of you. And I'm not sure some ODD teams in the industry are maybe being supported as much as they could in terms of either additional training or expertise in this particular space. One of the things I have seen is certainly within the direct space, does tend to be a little bit more of a chasm between the people who are making investment decisions within these organizations and their peers on the due diligence side from an operational perspective. I think in traditional hedge fund investments, if we're looking even at private equity, real estate, there seems to be a much closer working relationship. But because the direct investments are so unique and different, it almost seems to be a different investment process that's being utilized for those types of investments that falls outside the expected norms of how you would do business within these organizations. A lot of challenges, a lot of questions for, I suppose, the industry in terms of how do we improve upon this? I mean, at the SBI, we have a working group at the moment that's focused on private market valuations. And a number of the people in that working group are from an ODD perspective and background. We have a number of investors, you know, some endowment representatives. And certainly on the more liquid side of things, your venture capital, direct investments, that is where most of the concern currently lies. And it might just be a maturity issue. Maybe we're just not at the point where this is NASA class is maturing at the same rate of knots as we have seen over the last 10 or 15 years within traditional hedge funds or even within private equity to a lesser extent. Maybe we're getting there. But I think that's the benefit of maybe your organization, Bill, in terms of driving educational outcomes and educating the next generation of people in this industry about what they need to be aware of and what they need to look out for. But it's also a point of interest for us as a standard setting body where we try and help educate our members as well about all of the important things in the industry that they need to be aware of. Very well put. And maybe just to put a bold underscore, I think SBAI and Kaya 
are very, very focused on diversification and more opportunities for diversification. But if there's any postscript to that is we need to find ways of democratizing transparency, education, or professionalism before we democratize the product. Because then the investor is forearmed with better intelligence. And we said this whole business is about taking risk, understanding that risk, and making sure you're compensated for that risk. And some things don't work out, but if there's a glaring hole and you missed it, shame on you. And if you're acting on behalf of an investor, you're going to have to potentially answer for that. Maybe a last point, Brian, I do want to come back to because it's one that interests me a lot is emerging managers. And if I think about, and I've said this several times on this program before, the home of alpha is in inefficient parts of the market. And we see performance dispersion across asset classes getting wider and wider and wider. The name of the game is manager selection. But when it comes to emerging managers, they're emerging for a reason. They're very, very small. They haven't had a chance to build all the infrastructure out, but they could have a very unique investment process. They could be traveling in a very inefficient part of the market where they really could be alpha machines, but maybe they haven't built out the trading operation or the compliance or risk management from an operational standpoint. I'm not saying you should ignore that or you should treat emerging managers differently, but it might be an opportunity to help them work on some of those risks. And if they're recognized and understood, there might be a chance to say, rather than I'm not going to invest, or maybe I'm not going to invest today, but come back to me next quarter and you can fix X, Y, and Z. But how is this process, if at all, nuanced, or maybe is there a different lens you have when you're thinking about allocating to an emerging manager? I think it's a very important point. I mean, emerging managers are needed by the industry to ensure that we have a good ecosystem into the future. The Standards Board for Alternative Investments, we have a program that we call Spark, that we run a number of events for emerging managers on an annual basis. And we run a number of panel events where we bring COOs, CIOs, CEOs from emerging and established managers, and we give advice to emerging managers who come to attend those events. We have got a lot of different messages that we can give them in terms of how they structure the organization, the people that they bring into the organization, the level of seniority or experience that they need. And we try and help them that way. So it's very important to us. But from an investor perspective, just because you're an emerging manager, it doesn't preclude you from getting institutional money. I suppose the biggest differentiator between the ones who do receive those tickets and the ones who don't are the ones who are willing to partner with their investor allocators who are willing to say, Yes, as I said before, you're giving me money. It might be $50 million or $100 million, but that money could be with you for eight to 10 years. And investors will look to see a commitment to improving your business. One of the best things any emerging manager can do in that environment is to write a business plan, to put it in paper and say, if you give me this revenue, this is how I'm going to spend it. And I'm going to reinvest it in my business. And that might mean upgrading some of the staff that you have because you know in the early days it might be someone that you work with who can help you establish your business but if you go from 50 million to a billion dollars maybe the person that's your COO is maybe they've reached their level as a head of operations and you need to bring someone in who can get you to the next level because your business is bigger and more complex or maybe it's overhauling your infrastructure whenever you started out maybe you could only afford a particular system and it only give you certain functionality 
now you've got more money and you know that there's better OMS and PMS systems out there that you can adopt that can give you scalability and more efficiency on the back end and greater levels of straight through processing. For emerging managers, being committed to investing in your business, being willing to work and partner with your investors and showing that long-term commitment is one of the strongest things that you can do to attract that level of institutional money and ensure or certainly give yourself the best chance of success and being around for years to come. Yeah, and I think that's a very good summary. And the only thing I would add to that is we talked about maybe the larger managers presenting a highly curated experience to the person on the other side of the table. I think when it comes to emerging managers, I think most allocators, certainly the smart ones, will recognize that you cannot possibly have everything in place. And I think here is an opportunity to be very transparent and open as to where those holes might be and how you're going to fix them going forward. And I think that's going to lead to better outcomes, maybe more allocations and better results for everybody involved. So Brian, maybe I'll leave it at that. I thought this was an excellent discussion. By the time this airs, a CHI registration will be open. So I encourage people to understand where their blind spots are because your client, your employer, your allocator, and your regulator have expectations And the moment to be answering for those is not when the long shadow of the regulator is showing up in the reception room or on your Zoom virtually. So I think it's words to the wise, and I appreciate you and your membership, the partnership with SBAI, and and the great thoughts you put down in the sheet of paper. And again, I'll remind the audience that most, uh, the vast majority they have lifting was on you, and I appreciate the leadership position you took here. So Brian, thank you for all of that. Thanks very much, Bill. Really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Thank you for listening to Educational Alpha. I'm your host, Bill Kelly. Learn more about the Kaya Association and subscribe to the show at kaya.org. That's C-A-I-A.org. See you next time.